Welcome to the Millennial Falcon, a pop culture podcast by three geeky millennials. My name is Huai Chen Bui. I'm a writer for Slash Film and a pop culture journalist in D.C. And with me are... I am Anya Crittenden, a writer for Gay Star News. And I'm Willoughby Dobbs, a filmmaker in the D.C. area. And today is our monthly millennial movie review of Kingsman, The Golden Circle. Country roads take me home to the place. Virginia, Mountain Mama, take me home, country. This is the follow-up to Kingsman: colon, The Secret Service. Uh, it stars uh, Taron Egerton as well as uh, Colin Fur- uh, Firth. That's right, not Farrell. Mm-hmm. Yes. Colin Firth, um, <laughs> as well as as well as Mark Strong from the first movie, as well as newcomers, the Statesman, uh, played by uh, Jeff Bridges and Channing Tatum and Pedro Pascal um, and Halle Berry, Halle Berry as Halle Berry as the um, Mark Strong equivalent character for the Statesman, kind of like their cue. We also have Julianne Moore as the villain. Yes, Julianne Moore as the villain. And uh, so, small synopsis. Basically, uh, with their headquarters destroyed and the the world held hostage, members of Kingsman find allies when they discover a spy organization in the United States known as Statesmen. Uh, yeah, and they basically just go on an adventure to stop Julianne Moore. So this is directed by Matthew Vaughn, and this is Matthew Vaughn's first time directing a sequel. A sequel directed... Uh, directed directly to one of his yeah. uh, films. Because uh, X-Men First Class was kind of a semi-sequel it's slash a reboot. weird thing that's going on with Yeah, that but this is this, his first original sequel. And Kick, did, Kick-Ass 2 was a sequel to his movie, but yeah, he didn't direct he it. he did not direct that. So we are going to be giving a short uh, overview of what we thought of Kingsman, uh, the Golden Circle, and then we'll be diving into the plot, the characters, and the themes of the movie, and giving it a rating at the end. So, uh, Anya. As the Matthew Vaughn stan of all stands, <laughs> what Matthew, are your thoughts on this movie? Matthew Vaughn stan, who has now become... <laughs> problematic stan oh no now why oh matthew vaughn why have you done this to me um we'll get into exactly why when we start discussing like the plot and things um but just some quick thoughts um on the movie overall kingsman the first one was one of my favorite films i think it is a near perfect film i love it i had a lot riding on this sequel a lot. Like, these two can yeah. attest. I've been talking about this movie for a long time. You had booked this as our movie review since, I think, January. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whenever and... they released the, t- the, 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 the release date, you were like, that's going to be, this is it. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Because I love this franchise. Um, and then the review started pouring in, and they were not good. They, were, they were mixed reviews, let's say. They mixed. were mixed to negative. <laughs> And I was like, oh no. Oh no. And I don't know if it was going in with lower expectations or just I am not as cynical as some critics, but I liked this movie a lot more than I the reviews made me think I would. Um, I think it has problems. I think it is not as good as the first one. Uh, there are some things I actively disliked about it, but overall, I actually thought it was really fun again. Um, and one of the things I love about Matthew Vaughn 
is that he's a stylistic director, um, and he's very slick. And, I mean, it's the same thing I love about Tarantino. And one of the things for me is that I think action in movies can get very boring and very repetitive very fast. And with Matthew Vaughn, it's never that way. His action is always so much fun to watch and so unique and creative. And I thought, again, I loved the action in this film and the violence. Um, I know people talk about violence a lot in films, but when it comes to Tarantino or Matthew Vaughn, I'm like, all right, bring it on. It's it's a level of cartoon exactly. that, that so, most like animated movies or not, most uh, live action action is not as good. So Anya, I want to ask you a question. Um, Matthew Vaughn's style of or brand of hyper stylized violence, uh, what sets it apart from, for example, Zack Snyder's brand of hyper stylized violence? Because I remember during at least the opening scene of. The Golden Circle. There were some parts where I was like, "That kind of looks Snyder-esque," and I want to know what you think of like what sets it apart. Yeah. So for me, um, and I put Tarantino and Matthew Vaughn in this category. For me, they have more fun. Snyder is a downer, and his action feels like it. His yeah, I don't action... think you're ever gonna get an action sequence set to uh, uh, Prince. <laughs> Yeah, like Snyder's action, just it feels like it's dragged down for me. It feels like uh, too too cool for school film bro doing action, whereas Matthew Vaughn feels like he's just like fuck it, let's just go for it. Like I'm just gonna do absurd shit and throw it at the wall and see what happens. And he just feels like he has way more fun with his action, and Snyder does not give me that impression ever. I find Snyder's action boring. So. Okay. No, I, I actually agree with you for the most part. Although I do think that sometimes uh, I don't know why I'm suddenly turning around. I think sometimes Snyder is a better visual director than he is a director. So uh, I think like his viewpoint, his his perspective sometimes overtakes his uh, talent with visuals. <laughs> and I do want to like commend him for like how visually stylistic he is but I do see what you're saying because like I do think that Matthew Vaughn is completely in love with the genre and in love with filmmaking as opposed to Snyder who's trying to prove something yeah yeah so overall mixed thoughts we'll get into them but liked it more than I thought I would which is a relief (laughs) all right Willoughby what is what are your thoughts on the golden circle very similar to Anya's I liked the action the most uh out of all the things in the movie um, I like the acting performances. I thought that Taron Hedgerton did a really solid job of bringing like a lot of a lot of the emotion that he had with Exe in the first movie. He brought to it, and he really he helped sell the um, the relationship he had with Colin Firth uh, more so than I think in the, even in the first one. Um, and Colin Firth was great. Like we could talk, we'll talk, we can, we're we'll definitely gonna talk about him um, and his little his arc. Um, I thought the additions. Uh, with uh, Pedro Pascal and Channing Tatum. They were fun. Uh, Channing Tatum was not in the movie as much as I expected, and honestly, it knocked the the, the movie down a couple notches for me for that, because Channing Tatum, every time he showed up, he was great. Like, that one sequence when he was just dancing because of the, mm-hmm. the drug, mm-hmm. um, I was like, oh, th- I wonder if they just wanted to include a scene of him dancing, because he's so, he's so much fun to, to watch. Um, and Pedro Pascal has so much charm in the world. 
uh, and as we know from Game of Thrones Honestly, as well as this, other shows. this movie proved that Pedro Pascal is ready to step into leading man status. Yeah. Like, yeah. I was like, when am I going to get a Pedro Pascal movie? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I know he's busy He's busy with Narcos right mm-hmm. now, but I think that if Narcos ends, he can definitely do movies, mm-hmm. do movies when Narcos isn't filming. Uh, Jeff Bridges was his usual cowboy Tech, old Texan guy, mm-hmm. I guess in Kentucky this time. Um, uh, Julianne Moore was an interesting. She Ooh, did. I love She had an interesting performance. I, I liked it. it. It's very in line with like the, the Kingsman supervillains, and like there's a she has like a quirk, which is like she's in love with the 1950s. And I was like, oh, I, I, I'm seeing what's happening. Um, and I guess is there any other performances? Well, we'll get to all of them in detail. Uh, yeah, we can get to all of them. But so, uh, yeah, the acting and the action. The storyline was super weird. Um, it seemed like they were trying to take on the war on drugs and have a message movie. And I'm not sure how much they executed that to perfection. Uh, side note, speaking of casting, Bruce Greenwood plays the president in this movie. And I was disappointed that he actually had a bigger role than he did, because if he was just a cameo as the president, this movie could have been taking place in the National Treasure universe. Um, <laughs> because he played the president. I he he was played president the president in, in, the, in the second movie. I also forgot that. Yeah. So I was like, oh, are we going to get Nicolas Cage in a Kingsman movie? Because that would be amazing. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, that was just a side note. Yeah, so the plot and... Like all that stuff that was going on throughout it was weird, and we'll we'll dive in. But mm-hmm. uh, it's it's a mixed bag, and I'll def- I definitely rate the first movie over the second movie, like hands down. Um, yeah, but I think the action and the characters were my favorite parts. Mm-hmm. So I will say that Kingsman: The Golden Circle was an entertaining movie, but I think that just the fact that the foundation was just so fundamentally flawed. Uh, the foundation of the story was so fundamentally flawed that I could not bring myself to enjoy it, which is unfortunate because I did enjoy the first movie a lot. Although I didn't, I wouldn't say I liked it as much as you, Anya. <laughs> I found it kind of like a dumb, fun movie um, <laughs> rather than a movie that was almost perfect. Yeah, it had its I, own flaws. I, I think actually the flaws that the first movie had were magnified almost in the sequel, uh, which goes to show that maybe Matthew Vaughn should stick to just directing single films and not doing sequels to his, to his original films. But, yeah, I just, I could not, I was so bothered by the the war on drugs metaphor and, like, that whole allegory of class, the class warfare that kind of worked in the first one brought to stateside level in this one and did not really work well because it, that transition brings into all sorts of racial elements that just can't ignore and um also just it was this movie was really bad for women it was it so was bad awful. for women yeah yeah and like that was something that you know the first queen kingsman was also criticized for but it was it was overlooked it was easily overlooked just because it was such a fun movie and it wasn't quite so uh terrible but in this one it was just like there are parts where you couldn't really overlook it. i think the presence of roxy um, helped in the first film yeah, the Ro- Roxy really helped, and the fact, well, we'll go into spoilers yeah. in the deep dive, but the fact that she was sidelined was not, was it not, was, was a bad move from the start. It was very upsetting. So I think, I think that 
this movie was well made, but it was misguided. And I think that because it got off from the wrong foot from the start, I couldn't really bring myself to enjoy it. And I will say, honestly, I was a little bit disappointed in the action scenes. Other than the first scene uh, with the car and where he was flying above, um, when like he took the car door and was like basic flying, which is shown in the trailers, um, and the scene in South America, um, I, th- I can't remember which fight scene it was, but I wasn't really impressed by the fight scenes in this one as much as I was in the first one. Um, I can't really say why; it just kind of all blurred together for me. <laughs> I'm someone who like it takes a lot to impressed for action scenes just because I don't tend to look forward to them that much and in this one I was just like eh they were okay there's one or two moments that were pretty cool I did like the part with the with the um the ski slope with the American flag parachute though but you know it was a movie that was punctuated by really fun moments but otherwise was a little bit of a not a downer but a disappointment for me yeah all right Let us go into the deep dive of this interview. So first, let's go into the plot, uh, the structure of this film. So it takes place after uh, the Kingsman uh, headquarters are all destroyed by um, Poppy, Mm -hmm. the new big bad played by Julianne Moore, who is a drug cartel uh, boss or leader. And uh, we don't know why she's trying to take them out, just... Because to take out an obstacle, essentially. Oh, right? no, I think she does it for yeah. Charlie. <gasps> like, there's the scene right. where she... she does it just for a henchman? I, there's... I thought she did it just because to get rid I of I mean, them. she... That also might be it. But then also, why wouldn't she get rid of mm-hmm. statesmen who are on... Who are, mm-hmm. who are... It's possible she didn't know about that. But it seemed... I mean, yeah, Charlie could have told her. But it, there was that scene where after they were destroyed, she was sitting with Charlie. And she was like thanks for your loyalty or something. She says, she mentioned something about his loyalty. Yeah, but I thought that was just in reference to all her other henchmen who had kind of, you know, used her product and were disappointments True. to her. True. I think it was so. Both. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's where it's interesting because the crux of the movie where, you know, you start off with the, the, the Kingsman looking to the Statesman for help. Um, I feel like there wasn't enough motivation there for the villain to like outright target them maybe it was just like oh this is just convenient for it felt a little convenient for me but also i don't know it was just like oh that was just i guess they're more renowned because of their uh participation in the in samuel l jackson's like quest but i guess i don't know so that for me felt a little bit not false but it just mm-hmm. it seemed it seemed like it was inevitable that or not inevitable, but just one of those moments was like, oh yeah, the bad guy takes out everybody but these two people, and they're, now they're on their own. Mm-hmm. And it just seemed like she uh, well, she was aware of them, and she was she was like, oh well, they're gonna stop me if they find out about me, so I'm right. gonna take take the preemptive strike. Okay, yeah, I mean, I guess it does make sense. Um, but we can't ignore the fact that they killed off Roxy. Yes. Yeah, and, and JB. There was no need to. There was no need to. I really they killed disliked. off a woman and a dog in the same sequence, and I was upset. And she didn't get any last hurrah either. No, she was just in bed. She was yeah. like helping rock. She, she was helping Exy out with his um, dinner with uh, Tildy and her parents, 
and you know they had a and I was like oh they have a really good charming but you know platonic best friendship go, thing going on now I really like that and then she dies and I was like okay yeah, that's kind of like was... the first unforgivable sin that the movie takes takes and she wasn't even fridged properly because she's not mentioned throughout the entirety of the movie until like one single line at the end well like right after when they're mourning yeah and Merlin then and I drink to the them drink to her yeah, yeah. which was I like them um, yeah, Merlin was great in this film. I mean, well, the yeah, was I like good. I like the it increased did, presence of Mark Strong. It was Strong. good that Mark Strong did get to step up, but <sighs> I, I did Mark not Strong. like that. And step on him. Yeah, we have to talk so, about his yeah. character when we get there. But yeah. I think mm-hmm. I think we should just talk about the treatment of women in this film now. Not not great, Bob. It's yeah, it's, it's pretty bad. There's we can just talk about. There's the one sex scene that everyone's talking about, and I will say personally. People also talk about the sex scene in the first film, which I have no problem with, personally, because... Are you talking about the one at the very mm-hmm. end of Tilly? Yeah, because Tilly's the one who rec- who suggested it, and, like, it's consenting adults, and I have no problem with it. It's also, like, it. a pun on the Bond movies. Yeah, I have no mm-hmm. problem with that scene. I don't... I Yeah, I don't get the controversy around it, but this one... Um, so... I think what makes me angriest about this is that how unnecessary it was. Just yeah. They, didn't, it, they barely even used the... Like the like the information that they were trying to. They barely used the information. It was just a reason to shoehorn in this really gratuitous scene where you get a really intense close up of this woman's crotch, and I was like, oh, I guess we're going here. Yes, we are just like zooming into her vagina. It was yeah, so taking advantage of that R rating. It was Jesus. so awful because, like, on the one hand, if the whole like mucous membrane thing is going to be your shtick, whatever. They kiss and then cut away, and like it's implied that Eggsy did it. You don't need to show it. Yeah. Or I think you're making up fake technology. You could have made up some technology that was like it's in your saliva. You have to make out with her for a minute, and then it's done. Like, and and I think I think what they were trying to do is inc- for shock, for shock as well as include a scene of Eggsy and Tildy breaking up. But you could have done like, that. Because in any other I know, way. No, no, no. I'm not. I'm definitely not excusing it. What I'm saying is, like, that their was their motivation to have the sex scene. The justification. What could have been is, I'm on. He's on the phone with Tildy, saying, "I have to make out with this girl for the for the mission." Instead of, I have to, like, have sex with this girl. Like, it could have been not. Um, it could not have been sex. It could have been making out, and it could have been the same. It could have been reasons for anything. him to call till the yeah exactly. It could have been anything. It was they weird that they did. They did not need it at all. Honestly. It was yeah. no, it was so unnecessary. Yeah. It was. Mm-hmm. This is why Matthew Vaughn is now problematic, and I'm so angry because I have been defending him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was your unproblematic babe for like ever. Also, I found out he's married to Claudia Schiffer. Just like wow, right. They've been married since 2002. I like went on this whole. I went on this whole like Wikipedia, whole last night about Matthew Vaughn. <laughs> Trying to justify if your your fave is still your fave. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm so I'm so angry about it. I just that scene was disgusting and unnecessary yeah. and gratuitous. And then, and then later on, she's in the facility of Italy. And, and Charlie, she also just gets Charlie blows it, blows it yeah. out. There's just a wanton wanton. Just like disregard for women in this movie, uh, that I think is something that we should hold a critical eye yeah. to, and really, it it took down the movie for me. Like yeah. that was the one part that, other than like the the misguided metaphor, this is the part that really made me 
not enjoy the movie as much as I could. Yeah, it's like it's which yeah, is sad. Yeah, what I actively disliked about mm-hmm. this film, which was so disappointing. It was really weird. Um, yeah, and you know, I I think Julianne. I really love Julianne Moore in this. I love the villains in this franchise. I, I love how silly they are, um, and I thought mm-hmm. she was great. I think her death was a little anticlimactic. Um, also, that mean gr- meat grinder is surprisingly bloodless. All of his movies are. I guess you're right, yeah. Except for Kick-Ass. Kick Even ass with ass the ass hyper-violence, ass. it's surprisingly bloodless. I actually kind of like that. Well, I grinded up the Although I was like, listen, you can't grind people with their clothes on. I don't want leather in my In, in, in your my burgers. burgers. In your man burger. In my man burgers. I was like, Speaking I noticed that, and I was like, I'm annoyed by this. <laughs> Speaking of Julianne Moore and her her all, all shtick, what do you guys think of Elton John being like her kid? Okay, her her, uh, her uh, Elton John got more of an arc and more screen time than Roxy did. Oh yeah. Although, well, did I already say that it was nice that Tildy got an arc? No, at least? we haven't talked about Tildy yeah, yet. At least she got an arc. But Elton John got a whole arc. He got a fight scene, and he was a terrible actor. I'm sorry. Every scene, he had like the same like expression on his face and I remember at the beginning when he kept sighing he had the same like sort of pouty look where he's like oh yeah oh. but, but I think my I think my favorite moment within the Elton John arc is uh, when in the bowling alley uh, Colin Firth is fighting off one of the dogs the robotic dogs and he just puts his head into the camera of the, of the dog and Rocket Man plays mm-hmm. and, he, and it like registers as a friend yeah. and it's just like him like with this like shit eating grin look on his face like like that was like okay. This, this, yeah, it I was worth it was... for the robotic dog and like the Elton John like callback yeah. to the El- fact that he's a friend. Elton of. John was fun for the first two scenes, but I think he was definitely overused. Overused, yes, agreed. I thought he was going to be a, a secret Kingsman agent, which he no. still could be. I don't want that because I did not no. like Elton John's performance. I was no. so annoyed by it. I was like, stop trying to act, Elton John. You cannot do it. Yeah, you're a Get you're an actor. entertainer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, actors are entertainers. <laughs> I will say, um, I, I was also disappointed. I feel like I needed, I wanted more Halle Berry. Um, I really mm-hmm. wanted more banter between Merlin and Ginger. I thought they yeah, could have been a great. really fun duo. Um, I will say, I like that at the end of the film, she becomes Agent Whiskey. Especially yeah. because she had mentioned earlier that it was Whiskey who always shot her down to become an agent. So, like, mm-hmm. after he dies, it's kind of like a fuck you to him, and she takes his role. So I do yeah. appreciate that. Um, I hope if we get a third movie, which if we get a third movie, we could have more Channing Tatum, because that last shot, that bowler hat, man, that bowler hat. Sad. <sighs> I hope if we get a third one and we have Statesman and Kingsman, it would be nice to see Halle Berry like, have a bigger role so, and kick ass. I really liked what Halle Berry did with her very minimal role mm-hmm. and kind of thankless role, but I wish, yeah, like you said, that she had more because when she steps up to become Whiskey, it almost feels a little unearned just because she, we haven't had really any development from her other than, like, that one line where she mentions, I've always wanted to be a field agent. So it was done through, like, exposition versus, like, any sort of personal growth. Mm-hmm. And it felt sort of like a weak... Um, you know, trade off to like, oh, he's done all these horrible things to all these other female characters. Yes. But look, we are kind of feminist. We have her becoming a female agent. And I was like, okay, yeah. that's not really a equal, you know, trade off. Yeah. I so agree. that's what it kind of felt for me. It was felt a little hollow, but I did like Halle Berry's character. I just wish that, you know, there was more to it so that it didn't feel quite so, you know, 
hollow, like I said. Hopefully we can get more of her in the sequel, if there is a third one. Um, mm-hmm. But we're kind of straining into territory, or character and stuff now, but, like, the plot, um, mm-hmm. we can also, like, get into the theme and, like, the war on drugs thing. I will say, the plot, everyone had talked about how messy this film was, and theming-wise, it was, but, like, I feel like plot-wise, this movie was actually pretty streamlined, and I think... Plot-wise, it was actually pretty straightforward. I, yeah, yeah, I didn't It was your classic spy movie. As a messy as some people are saying, plot-wise, I think mm-hmm. it all makes sense no, pretty it was, much. It, didn't, it was just thematically wise. It, it didn't miss. It definitely didn't go, like, all... Or, it wasn't, like, you couldn't follow what was happening. Like, yeah. I, I had a pretty solid idea of what was happening all the time. And, uh... Oh, if we want to go back to the treatment of uh, women, uh, the fact that uh, the traumatic moment for Pedro Pascal's character is his girlfriend being shot up yeah. in a, like a drive-by incident. Mm-hmm. That was weird. I actually kind of like that scene. I, I didn't, I didn't it, find it weird. I like that he had a personal connection. Yeah, I like that the personal connection, and I liked how it played out. It felt to me more genuine, um, and like it did explain his motivation. I stuff. think it, yeah. I think it did. I think it was just on top of everything that was going on. Like right. it was kind of like almost. It was like oh, another another like off-screen fridge fridging or you know family getting mm-hmm. was also also the trailer for death wish was in the was ahead of the movie so like the fact like that the whole like man on a revenge mission because his wife died or something was uh. like in my head so it's like oh okay no it worked for me even though it was towards the end of the movie because it did kind of fill in the holes about his character oh it did his definitely. character it, like remained very mysterious um and like you know I mean, I think it worked in the context, but mm-hmm. just like in terms of the treatment of women, right? It like it was not great that it was like un, like another negative point. Another woman killed off for the sake of plot. Exactly, and but like I think in terms of his character or like his motivation, it works within the in the universe of the movie. All right, so we've been kind of um, touching on this war on drugs metaphor. Let's just dive into it. Yeah, I think because I think we 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 understand that the plot. It's pretty straightforward. Yeah, I mean, oh, actually, do, I did want to mention um, a lot of other like action franchises that you know sort of escalate and become these globe globe trotting um, movies. Like, for example, Fast and Furious franchise. Mm-hmm. That's when it becomes really convoluted. But in this case, I think this, yeah, like you were saying, the plot is pretty pretty straightforward. They go from here to here to follow their leads, and it's basically shown pretty well, like why they're going from place to mm-hmm. place and why like the story is leading them here. Um, so, yeah, I will say that the plot is pretty clean. It's yeah. not as convoluted as it could be. But what is convoluted is the metaphor. We're on drugs. So um, I was mentioning this before, but the first movie took on the idea of class warfare and class sort of tension. Well, I think it also – that, but I think it also mostly took on, at least in terms of Valentine, just population control. Mm-hmm. That it was just, like, yes. the idea that, like, we have a population problem. Mm-hmm. But then also the class thing, because it was, like, the rich people who got the chips in their necks. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that works just because it's such a, I don't want to say a vague concept, but such a, broad. Like, a large concept. Broad concept, yeah. It's such a broad concept that you don't have to tie it into real-world events it wasn't, quite it as was, exactly. it as distinctly specific. as this one was, whereas this one was very specific, especially to the American setting in which it was in. The, the fact that they act, actively named the war on drugs with, as, like, a thing that they're, like, talking about. So, if it was, I think, 
I mean, I'm not sure how to fix it, but if they just specifically didn't name mm, it, no, it, I don't. Yeah. I just, I think that this was a fundamental like misstep from the beginning. They should not have made this movie about South American drug cartels and the war on drugs and America's own. Um, America's own uh, involvement in mm-hmm. the war on drugs and like bringing drugs to um, this, this side of the border and everything. It's a very complex issue that has been ongoing for decades, and I just think that this was a very trite and a very glib way of approaching it and treating it as if it's a sort of like a, I don't know, like a historic sort of notion or issue mm-hmm. when in fact it's still very real today. And I think that's the problem. Like the part in the stadiums where they we have the clinics and they have like the whole the cages and yeah. the prisons essentially of all these people who were um affected by the rash because they were drug users i was like that is just like too real imagery i don't think that they're understanding the they're grasping like the the uh not the importance but like the grasping seriousness. The, the seriousness of what's that imagery. So do you think he was trying to show that like um, in America especially like the punishment often does not fit the crime and like like hold up a mirror to America like this is what you're doing. Not if he succeeded. Do you think that's what he was trying to do? Like trying to show that like it's not as bad and that like these people shouldn't be in cages. Like he put that image to shock you because he likes to do that and to be like this is wrong. You see, you feel wrong about this. Therefore, it's like wrong in society. Like, do you think he was trying to have a message? See, this is where the mixed metaphors come in because I don't think he had a message. Um, he, the thing is, like the war on drugs, like the usage of that term, kind of uh, faded after the mm-hmm. '90s, and like that was so prevalent back then. And bringing up here makes this movie seem dated in a way. It seems like he's approaching it from the viewpoint of someone who was, like, really engrossed in that sort of issue in the 90s and was trying to bring it back. And it does not work in, like, this modern context. Uh, And I don't know. I don't think – I don't – I feel like he wasn't aware. I just – the way that he does it in, like, such a glib way – does not feel like he has, like, a full grasp of it and, like, really is trying to make some sort of statement. Because it feels like, A, he's trying, he's both condemning drug, uh, the drug trade, and B, he's condemning the people who condemn the drug, the drug trade. It's very strange. Because, you know, the villain is a drug cartel leader. Mm-hmm. Um, but then he also, also, like, he also condemns the president. Yeah, he also condemns the president, but the president is such a so, yeah, so it's a mixed... It's like, there's no way that he's a real person. So it's a mi- I mean, you so it's Poppy. He's just yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't it's know. It's just very like mixed. It's very mixed, and it just feels extremely mis like a misunderstanding of the issue. And I, I just don't think they should have made a movie about. He should have made this the basis of his movie in the first place. Yeah, I think it's a shame because I actually, I definitely don't mind, and I almost appreciate that he tries to, at least mm-hmm. in the first one, that he tried to tackle like real life issues in you know a bombastic spy franchise like the idea of dealing with class especially in britain where class is a huge issue and like population growth and population control like i liked that and i thought it was handled actually pretty well and so like i appreciate that he tries to do this i just it just didn't work this time 
I think that it's his expansion to like this American story mm-hmm. where the it gets lost in translation, for example. It's kind of like the criticisms that J.K. Rowling experienced when she was uh, writing for Pottermore, the history of uh, magic in North America. And she was you know, going into Native American spirit animals and how those uh, myths and cultures feed into like this sort of American history, and people criticized her for like making light of this really this real and very revered uh, part and sentiment of Native American culture, and you know, it, and also like the ideas of race and of class are different in America mm-hmm. than they are in Britain, yeah. and I think honestly it was just like a misunderstanding on the part of a British director. Matthew he is British, right? yeah. Yes, yes. A British director just trying to bring you know his his movie into a more global franchise and you know pinning it really strongly into an American identity and ideology that just did not work. And like honestly, it went a little bit too Americana sometimes. Yeah. Like, do they really have to make all of like these sort of like strong Southern Texas references in Kentucky? Like, they're, they're not they're not mutually. They're not the same. Yeah, you know? yeah. I think so. It's like I have no problem with the statesman, you know, um, mm-hmm. and I have no problem seeing these characters again in a potential third movie. I think it could be fun, but I think, yeah, I think like you're saying, if he, if he went a little more vague like he did in the first film, and didn't try and like pin down so many things, it would have been better. Like introduce the statesman, but just don't try and have such heavy-handed theming i guess yeah the theming was just was the part that lost me it was the part where like they could have they could have just made it as fun and as dumb as the first one and like have you know some sort of social commentary but not something that's so strong that overwhelms the rest of the movie yeah yeah i agree all right shall we move on to so we've gone into plot a little bit of theme should we just go on to characters yeah, then yeah we've sure. talked a lot about the female characters we kind of ran through them i will say with mm-hmm. all the problems this movie had with women i find it interesting and almost a little more disturbing that it was co-written by a woman and mm-hmm. that she has been a co-writer of matthew bond's for his whole career and it's weird because i've seen matthew bond do like not bad treatment of women like in stardust and yet this it's very upsetting yeah and so i just i wonder if it's like the whole american transition again maybe i don't know it just seems so oblique compared to the first yeah maybe you know where yeah um blame america (laughs) but i want to talk about the kingsman trio because i really loved eggsy harry and merlin in this film and i love them as a trio Mm -hmm. i like all their bonds i like that each one has a specific bond to each other, and that we get to see glimpses of all of them. Um, Colin Firth was so great, you guys. When he had amnesia, he was I was so like, good. he's so pure and innocent. <laughs> I was very emotional about Harry Hart. I liked, I really liked Harry, and I really liked um, Merlin, and I'm so happy that they got stronger roles. And I'm happy, too, that Taryn Eager, Egerton, Edgerton? Egerton? Edgerton. Edgerton. 
Taron Edgerton, um, who was the breakout star of the first movie, was willing to step back and let these two masters just like do their thing because he didn't really have as big a role in this movie mm-hmm. as he did in the first. Like he was still like the centerpiece, but he was like he didn't even he didn't either like um, you know become less interesting or anything. He also he just kind of stepped back and let other people you know run their course. Which is yeah, good, he is. I think because like so it, charming too. He is. Mm-hmm. And I, there's that scene in the beginning of the film where he he's leaving for work and Tilde, like, wanted to go over, like, table manners with him. And he has that flashback mm-hmm. to Harry teaching him about table manners. and he, he Which was a deleted scene from the first movie. Oh, oh I didn't know that. And he, like, mm-hmm. has this look on his face where he's, like, about to cry and his, like, voice cracks a little. And I was like, okay, Taryn yeah. Edgerton. Like, Damn. Like he brought, he brought it, he brought his acting chops to the table. <laughs> He's yeah, good. He He's destined for great things. Yeah, yeah. and mm-hmm. they were great. Speaking of people destined for great things, Pedro Pascal was great in this film. Oh yeah, he was just oozing charisma. And if you know, Taron was the breakout of the first one. Pedro Pascal was the breakout of this one because by the end of this film, even though he played sort of the villainous character, or rather, like. The, he took a villainous turn at the end. I was waiting for a Pedro Pascal lead actor movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I'm excited. If like, I hope that people will take notice of him after this one, and will give him like a an action star role because he was just great. He really carried both the dramatic scenes. Actually, it was the scene where um, you know he regains his memory after the amnesia loss from uh, the gunshot wound. And where he has like that moment where he remembers like everything, it all comes pouring back of like the loss of his of um, his wife, and he just like it was like the Terran scene before, like he, you see the emotion just welling up in his face, and him trying to like hold it back. And I was like, this this is a star making scene right there. And of course, it was all his fight scenes too. But I really admired him, dude. His mm-hmm. fight, I love his fight scene in Italy where he like uses the lasso to like cut that guy in half. Yeah, it was crazy. He was bad. I like held up my hands in the movie, and my girlfriend had to like put my hands. Down <laughs> he is so like, great. I mean, we all loved him in Game of Thrones. I think he was a standout in Game of Thrones. Like he was one of the shining spots mm-hmm. of that show before we all abandoned it. Um, and so I knew he was always really good. But I was so excited to see him in like a big blockbuster and like see him hold his own. And it's strange though that he hasn't been on any of the posters, even though he plays such a pivotal role, and he has not. Had been in much in the trailers either. It's he hasn't had much of a speaking they role. They marketed Channing Tatum. A it's lot because people know Channing Tatum. Yeah, yeah, he's less of a of a it's star. A that's thing. true. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I did need to bring point this out before I Wait. forget because I just remembered it. Um, real quick, the amnesia bit when Harry regains his memory, and the fact that Matthew Vaughn reused his score from X Men First Class. Did he? It was he did. It's, it's the track Rage and Serenity. It's when Charles makes Eric flashback to his own memories when they're like outside the mansion. That's why I thought it, it was so like, familiar. Pulled, it I thought pulled it was me familiar. out of the movie, I and I was it. instantly like, "Oh my god, this is the X Men First Class score." It like I just needed to mention that because I've been like freaking out about it because like when I was in the movie last night, I was like, "What am I watching X Men now?" And it was like a very similar scene. <laughs> and yeah. yeah. 
because I thought I thought maybe it was it was a, it was a music cue from the first Kingsman that I forgot, but I definitely f- felt it was familiar. It's but now that it's X Men First X-Men, Class, like, which is both yeah. it's the same composer, it's Henry Jackman, same director. Um, yeah, but like, who does excellent yeah. work, by the way? The Kingsman soundtracks and the and X-Men Captain America Winter Soldier X-Men First Class were. Is also Henry Jackman. Yeah. So I just needed to point that mm. out that like they used, they reused one track from X Men First Class in that scene and it like pulled me out of the film and I was like, what? Before we go back into characters, I do want to make a quick tangent over to the soundtrack. Was it just me or am I am I a little bit tired? Am I a little bit like fatigued with the needle drop? What are you talking about? Just You're talking about like actual songs? Yeah, just like the the overabundance we've had of just like of needle drops in action scenes this summer, and abundant uh, the abundant amount of John Denver needle drops in this one. Which I mean, we the, could get into the John Denver of, of it all, but uh, <laughs> I'm okay with it. Yeah, because I think this is the style of Kingsman. I think it fits Kingsman for me. I think I think some other it movies fits Kingsman. So yeah. Yes, I agree with that on the most part. Although I think the abundant use of John Denver was interesting. I know it was supposed to be like Merlin's favorite song. And you, speaking of, there is a version on the soundtrack of Kingsman um, where song you can hear Mark. yeah, Mark Strong singing uh, Country Roads. Nice. I just, I felt a little bit fatigued of, maybe it was the John Denver songs. I was like, because it didn't feel for some reason quite as earned in this regard as... John other Denver John songs, Denver songs. <laughs> other John Denver songs in another movie that with we reviewed earlier this summer, uh, also starring Channing Tatum. That well, one felt yeah, much more earned with the same John Denver song. Yeah, like, like I think that was it for me. I was just like, this does not feel quite as emotionally resonant as Logan Lucky. So I was just like, why are they overusing John Denver so but much? It's not even like obviously like these filmmakers like Bong Joon Ho and uh, Ben Wheatley and uh, the, yeah. Um, there was one more uh, Alien Covenant, like Ridley Scott, and did Spitfire yeah. have John Denver? Yeah, yeah. Ben Whitley. Ben yep. Whitley had it was Annie's song for both Okja and uh, and uh, Free Fire, and then Alien Covenant had oh Alien Covenant had Annie's song as well, and then Take Me Home Country Road was oh no Take Me Home Country Road was in Alien Covenant, and then also in Logan Lucky this. and uh, Kingsman Golden Circle. And it's not. I, I doubt these five filmmakers got together and go like, "We're gonna do." Uh, okay, so you're gonna take any song, and we'll take it. Uh, take me home, country road. Like it's this weird like confluence. Confluence of like, and not even like. And then the two movies you'd expect a John Denver song, Baby, Baby Driver, Driver and Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two, were not in. Uh, yeah. This this pantheon of movies. I know. Maybe it's just me and my experience with all the ne- the needle drops in this in this summer's pantheon of movies i was just like mm, i i'm tired of needle drops now but I mean, it, it, it does a... work in kingsman it was just like for uh, for some reason it was another thing where i was like this movie isn't quite as enjoyable as me as the yeah, first yeah i will say me. um yeah with the john denver that was my experience. And this one though um i am <clears throat> i'm really upset merlin died because i think merlin merlin was one of my standout characters from the first movie and I like that he had more to do in this film. I also love Mark Strong. I think he's fantastic. Um, he's so Merlin is so much fun. Um, and so I'm really bummed. I'm hoping this is just a universe where anyone can come back from the dead. Um, <laughs> yeah, 
you know, I was expecting this movie would have been saved for me, honestly, if Roxy had just like emerged from the rubble at one point and oh, yeah. got and just at the last minute saved the yeah. day, you know, or like you know saves Colin Firth from the yeah. robot, yeah, or something. That would have been oh, instead of Elton John. That would have been yeah. That, that would have been, been that would have been. I was expecting her, honestly. I was mm-hmm. just like, okay, this is where Roxy comes in, and this movie redeems itself it just in its treatment of female characters. It doesn't seem. There's no reason nope. she had to die. No. Other than to make They could have Kenzie honestly killed that. every other felt... agent but her. Yeah. yeah, it could have been like the first movie where like all the other Kingsman agents were not in town. You know what it feels like to me? It feels like in a Bollywood movie where you have a potential love triangle, you just take the other girl out of the equation. And in this case, it was like, it was platonic, but it had the potential to become a love triangle. And I think it's the case where they just took her out of the equation to make things less complicated for Eggsy and Oh, uh, but that's so much more that's problematic. That's what it felt like to me. Because, like, even though it was platonic in this movie, there was little hints of I mean, they romance have, they the have chemistry. One. They have charisma. Yeah, they have chemistry. And I think that was... Taron Egerton has charisma with literally everybody. Yeah, that was just, like, the feeling I had, which is what made it yeah. so bad for me. Um, real quick, back to Merlin. Um, <laughs> I'm... I'm <laughs> I'm really sad he died. I wish he hadn't, honestly. Um, even with his great send-off, I would have rather had him live than have the great send-off. But his death scene was great, and Mark Strong sold the hell out of it. And I did really did. like that. He! You know what's weird? So my history with Mark Strong is that the first movie I ever saw him in was in uh, mm-hmm. Sherlock Holmes as the villain. Mm-hmm. And then the next movie I saw him in was the villain in Kick-Ass. So, like, I just associate him He's also as the a villain. villain. He's also, well, so th- he's not really a villain. He's a, he's a mixed character in Stardust. He's a... Yeah, yeah, he's in Stardust, really too. Like, villain, so, but... like, he, he's, he usually plays, like, or at least for me, like, the the roles I've seen him in, he's been, like, either a villain or he's just not been a great guy. So when I saw him in Kingsman, I was like, is he, like, it, it, I immediately thought, oh, is he the traitor? And then when he wasn't, I was like, cool, that's cool that Mark Strong got, like, a good, like, hero role. And then this one, he got more of an arc. And I was like, nice. And then they kill him off and I'm like, oh, <laughs> You're like, nice. And you're like, oh, man. <laughs> well, at least, I, at least he got a very earned arc that had a good, com- it was a good complete arc, yeah. which was nice. Um, and I like that, that you know they referenced the fact that Exy's father did the same thing. For yeah, him. that was good. That and felt circular. Lot, and yeah, like, I like like we were talking about how each character has a bond to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that 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 scene really sold it. Yeah. The fact that uh, they both of them were like very like it wasn't just like you could tell that both uh, Harry and Exy like felt the fact felt for uh, his death scene. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just, I'm still upset over Roxy. I hated how when Eggsy was saying, this is for Kingsman and this is for etc. Roxy was third in his mentions. Yeah. He said Kingsman verse, and then he said his buddy. I can't remember who his buddy was. And uh, then he said Roxy. Yeah. And I was like, man, Eggsy, you disappoint me. I thought you held more stock in your best friend. Honestly, at one point I was wondering if the movie was going to end with Eggsy leaving the Kingsman. Because, like, he had multiple, mm. like, um... Uh, like friction or multiple like, tension leave. with Merlin and Harry of them being like, think mm-hmm. of your training, like don't get emotional, like et cetera, et cetera. And I almost right. was wondering if Eggsy was going to be like, I can't, this is not the person I am, I can't do this. But then I kind of like that, like 
he stays in the Kingsman and he just kind of changes how the Kingsman operates. Like, they're allowed to have relationships and, you know, he is emotional. And so I kind of like that he's changing what the Kingsmen are. Yeah. So I like the wedding scene. That was nice. I thought the wedding scene, when I first saw the wedding scene, I was like, oh, that means he's quitting the Kingsman, right? Because he's a public figure now and he can't be part of a spy organization. I mean, that could be but, part of the third movie, like how he handles that. Mm-hmm. That's true. Um, what do you guys um, think for a potential third movie? Um, I'd be okay with the third movie. I just have no idea what the plot would be. Cool. Hopefully something vague and, under- and but still, uh, not but super still tied absurd. down or anything. Not incredibly relevant, timely. Just yeah, make it like bonkers. just do another, just do, just do a Bond villain who yeah. wants to destroy the world for no apparent reason. Like yeah. I'm okay with that. Yeah. Ooh, take on the Trump presidency. <laughs> That's the opposite of what we I know. want. <laughs> um. Yeah, I would be down for a third movie. I didn't hate this movie as much as I'm making it out to be. I just, <laughs> I hope that a third movie. HD hates this movie <laughs> with a passion of a thousand suns. No, I just, I hope that the thir- a third movie, if they make one, would redeem this. Uh, like course correction. Yeah, course correction. Again, I'm, I'm a little bit iffy on whether Matthew Vaughn can handle like sequels to his own yeah, films maybe he because shouldn't. I feel like he becomes a little bit unleashed and doesn't really have a sort of filter for himself, yeah. which he, which I think he needs and which I think, you know, he excels in for either original films or adaptations or something. But um, I think it's also interesting to note that this might be his first original film. It, so every other film he's done before this has been an adaptation of something, including Kingsman. Kingsman is based on a comic by Mark Miller. Right, mm-hmm. and um, Kick-Ass was too. Yeah, but Kingsman, I believe, with only like six issues, it was like a really limited... Uh, story and I believe most of the stuff in Kingsman the Golden Circle was original wasn't in the comics Mm -hmm. it was just like he had characters from the comics Um, I'm not sure even if sure if the statesmen are in the comics and so I wonder if like maybe Matthew Vaughn is just really good at adapting things Mm, that's a good point stick and he should stick to that and if you can if you look at X-Men first class as an adaptation of like an X-Men origin story that works too. Yeah. Like it wasn't, I mean, obviously it's a franchise, so it's not an original film, but it definitely was a fresh take on, uh, yeah. uh like uh, beloved on, characters, on beloved characters and, and a franchise that has pretty much just gone down, down the shitter before. I mean, that. first class is my favorite X-Men film. So yeah, I agreed. Well, it's definitely up there yeah. for me. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's just, maybe that's just who Matthew Vaughn is as a director. Yeah. Which is not, and that's not a bad thing. That's not a bad thing. Yeah. Maybe this is him realizing, oh, maybe I should, maybe I, I don't have to do sequels, which yeah. honestly he probably, it's probably like Edgar Wright's like, I don't want to do franchise films. Though he is uh, being eyed for Man of Steel 2, which would be, I think he could bring an interesting take to that. I actually, I mean, I'm I still will, optimistic about it. He'd have to break the world to do it. Yeah. yeah. Because Matthew Vaughn has talked about Superman, and I will say that's one of the things I love about him is his take on Superman is everything that Superman is to me. Because he's just like, Superman is colorful, and he's hopeful, and he's all these things that I associate with Superman that like Zack Snyder basically shit on. And so I would love to see Matthew Vaughn's take on Superman. I agree with you on that, Anya, because I think despite all of his hyper-violence and... Um, stylized indulgence, Matthew Vaughn is an optimist at heart, and that's what's important. Because even though his, his movies can te- can be seen as very boys club and cynical, he has a sincerity to his work that mm-hmm. really comes across uh, in these films. Maybe a little less so in Kingsman the Golden Circle, but still, 
it, there's a brightness to it, which yes, I think is I what agree. redeems it redeems him for me. I agree. Mm-hmm. All right. Actually, I think that is a good way to wrap up our Kingsman review. We touch on everything. How do we want to rate it? Let's give it a rating out of five stars. I will go first. I give it two out of five stars. Right. Will be. 3.5. Anya? What do you have to say for your fave? I think I'm going to have to go with three. Ooh. Because of the female character treatment. It, I was going to put it up, but I couldn't. So the Millennial Falcon gives Kingsman the Golden Circle 2.8 out of 5 stars. So Almost 3. Almost 3. Almost 3. <laughs> um, I guess, what would you guys have rated the first Kingsman movie out of curiosity? Probably a 3 for me. A 3? Yeah, I would have rated it a 4. I would have probably given it either a 4.5 or a 5. There we go. Fucking okay. Okay. Yeah. I, think, right. I think this is in line with our thoughts on the first movie. I, yeah. I enjoyed the first movie, but yeah. that's just like, it was a solid 3 for me. It was yeah. like, fine, it was fun. Which isn't that, that's how I it love yeah. it, yeah. All right, let's move on to the last segment of our episode. I really, 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 really like you. But I need to tell you something. Anya, why don't you start us off? What do you really like this week? So I saw another new movie this week um, that is coming out this weekend, but I saw an early screening of it, and it was fantastic, and that is Battle of the Sexes, starring Emma Stone and Steve Carell. Um, it's about the second Battle of the Sexes tennis match between Bobby Riggs and Billie Jean King, and it's great. It's a really good film, really inspirational, really fun um, feels like a breath of fresh air. It has its, it's imperfect. It has its, you know, plot contrivances that feel, like you were saying, HD earlier, just very convenient for things. Um, but I think as a character piece, it's really good. Emma Stone is fantastic. She really brings it. This is her movie. Um, and I wrote an article for Gay Star News about the movie as a coming out story. Because really where the heart of this film lies is Billie Jean King and coming out both as a feminist activist and fighting for equal pay and also her sexuality because during the movie at the time she's married and she ends up having a relationship with a woman and she realizes that she's not straight. Um, in real life, um, which they say at the end of the film, Billie Jean King did divorce her husband and she's been with her lifelong partner, um, a woman, since then. And she's been a champion for both feminist causes and LGBTQ causes. So I just really want to recommend Battle of the Sexes because it's great. And it's fun to see a queer woman at the front of a story who succeeds and has a happy ending. Yay! All right. And we'll link Anya's piece uh, about Battle of the Sexes in our post later this evening. So Willoughby, what is your really like for this week? A new Netflix show uh, called American Vandal. It's the mockumentary series, uh, a mockumentary true crime series that they just released on, I think, last Friday. Um, basically, instead of like a murder or a sexual assault, uh, the true crime is focused on a on vandalism of dicks on cars at a high school. And basically, it's this eight-episode uh, uh, making a murder serial type show. 
in which I mean they they commit to it so well about like this one guy who's being who was uh, uh, accused of uh, spray painting twenty seven dicks on twenty seven cars, <laughs> and they play it so straight though that it's so funny because they do I mean and they they film it so well and make it look like you know making a murderer or like any of these true crime shows that they've been that Netflix and other show other networks have been producing that you kind of get lost in it you're kind of like oh, who drew the dicks <laughs> and that like literally like that that's like their like their in universe hashtag that went once once this uh, docu series within the universe of the of the show goes viral. The hashtag "Who Drew the Dicks" is like the the the, the viral hashtag, and like the, you know they do it so well. And they and it's like a it's also like an, a small indictment of the education system and like blaming kids for like doing you know just for being who they are. And like this this guy is accused of of doing something that he could have done. Like, but it, you know you figure out who did and who didn't do it. And it's kind of like just like a, a like a it and it's a bit of a satire on the true crime because they kind of show like the fallout of like once something like this goes viral like the people who are involved with it like their lives are changed and possibly ruined um, not the people who are accused but like the people who are like so either other suspects or people who have evidence or knowledge and then it gets you know unveiled and then maybe they're not good in like a good light but like it takes place in a high school and it's like you know this like high school drama that unfolds and it's so it's like very funny and very like so well made like they could have used like this type of like production value is something i i would see for like an actual true crime show like a real true crime show like making a murderer but this is done for 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 shits and giggles, and it's amazing. Like it's one of the m- most well-crafted shows of this uh, year, and I finished it this morning. And it was like it like hit the nail on the head. Like I wasn't sure how they were gonna stick the landing, and they do. And I'm like, damn, this like it it commits to the bit so perfectly <laughs> of being like a true crime mockumentary. Like it doesn't even the credits, like the opening credits are in-universe people like the people who are like the kids who are making this documentary like directed and written by peter maladano or something it's only at the end of the credits like the actual end credits where you get like this is a netflix show that's so funny but like they commit to it so perfectly and like the only way you'll know this is not real is because of the of a it's an eight episode docuseries on on dick vandalism on high school cars as well as like uh, like the fact that it's pretty pretty damn funny, but like the production value is so real. Like I was like I got lost. I was like, who drew the dicks? <laughs> That's amazing. Um, yeah, it's called American Vandal. It's on Netflix now. It's only eight episodes. They're about thirty five minutes each episode, um, which is strange. Usually it's either twenty two, thirty, or forty five or fifty. Um, so thirty five. It took took a like half a day to do it. It's great. All right, I. I don't know. I haven't watched that many true crime series, so I'm not sure if I'll like. I mean, did you listen to Serial? I did not listen to Serial either. Yeah. So I'm not sure if I'll, I'll totally be as entertained by by uh, American. I Vandal. mean, it's a super niche thing. Yeah. Like, not everybody will so get it. It feels like it's a joke made specifically for people who love true crime podcasts and, true and crime, mockumentaries. Yeah, and mockumentaries. I mean, I like mockumentaries. Yeah, but, but yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay, so my I really like this week. 
I was in London for a couple of days this week, and on the flight back, I decided to pop in a quintessentially British series, Victoria, which is a masterpiece series uh, about the early reign of Queen Victoria in,、um, I think, the late 1800s. But yes, it、uh, stars Jenna Coleman. Most importantly, it also stars Rufus Sewell. And、uh, a host of other British actors and actresses. But the main point of this series and me watching it is Rufus Sewell. Is it Rufus? Am I saying his name right? I think it was Sewell. I think it's Sewell. Is it Rufus Sewell? That's what I've always、okay. said. Well, I don't know. So I'm going to call him Rufus Sewell.、Um, so I kind of just watched this series on the plane because it was available and I only had like an hour left of the flight. So I was like, what can I watch in an hour? Oh, I'll watch Victoria. I've always meant to see this. And I was hooked、yep. from the beginning. Oh my goodness. It, I'm not a huge fan of period、uh, TV. I think I actually talked about this on the podcast before. I like period drama films, but for some reason I cannot really get into period television shows just because it goes on for so long and、um, it doesn't quite have like, the panache of the films that I really like. But Rufus Sewell and his brooding really just reined me in. And、uh, he just em- embodies every Byronic hero and brooding、um, gothic. Uh, protagonist that I love, and he's, he is A plus at pining. He is、His、so good. Is like, oh my god. Victor- I sent a couple Snapchats to Anya when I was watching it. <laughs> She sure it. did. And it was just like me making various noises while Rufus Sewell was pining. <laughs> Willoughby, you look just like that like, blinking guy meme. <laughs> I'm, the, I'm the embodiment of the blinking white guy meme. <laughs> Oh, I feel you, HD. It's a well made series, but oh my god, it just. Lord M is so much. Of, yeah, Lord M. Yeah, Rufus Sewell plays Lord Melbourne, who was、uh, Queen Victoria's prime minister and primary advisor in her early years. And he is just so good. There's just, just so much chemistry to, between him and Jenna Coleman, and he just. Oh my god, I, I just like, could watch him pining all day. It makes me want to like, cry. Wait, is that a prime minister in love with his queen? Yep.、Yeah. Oh shit. It's so good. Are you caught up with the、mm-hmm. first season? Not yet. I'm, I, I think I'm six episodes in. Okay, so I wonder、Five、if you'll have、in. the same journey that I had where I was completely like, smitten with Lord M, like you. I was all aboard the Byronic hero train, and like Albert came in, and I was like, no. And I was like, Lord M forever. And then I finished the first season, and I fell in love with Prince Albert. Albert came in so early. I did not expect him to show up in like the third episode. He does come in really、episode. early, and I,、yeah. I was like surprised at how, because I was like, I'm not going to like Albert because I love Lord M so much. And then I really love Albert. He's a darling. He is, he's sweet. I've only seen one episode with him, so I'm just like, okay, I see, okay. What, I see what he's doing.、Um, but just, oh, I, he might win you over. I, I'm being probably, but you know my type. My type、I、is know, the Rochester. And like, Lord, Lord M is just like so in that type, that Byronic、mm-hmm. hero, which ironically,、uh, he was gypped by Lord Byron, so that kind of、yep. works out well. Oh, man, I, just, I could watch. Lord M. I was like looking up on YouTube some videos of like Lord M and, and,、uh, and Victoria. And、yes. like, there are only fan videos on here. I'm not going to watch these. <laughs> Oof, girl. Girl,、mm-hmm. I know.、Yeah. I feel you. 
my weakness, Anya. It's my weakness. It's a good weakness. <laughs> so that's what I really like for this week. I'm sorry for mispronouncing oh. your name, Rufus Sewell. <laughs> All right, so that is our episode for the week. If you guys have any thoughts on Kingsman, The Golden Circle, Battle of the Sexes, American Vandal, or Victoria, and more specifically, Lord M, definitely come chat with us. And where can they do that, Willoughby? You can find us on Facebook if you search for us there. We're also on Twitter, at Falcon Podcast. Our blog is millennialfalconpodcast.wordpress.com. You can listen to us on SoundCloud, and you can rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes and Google Play. And don't forget to tell your friends. And where can they find you guys? You can find me at htrenbui on Twitter. You can find me at Anya Crittenton on Twitter. And you can find me at Willoughby Dobbs on Twitter. All right. Thanks for joining us, guys. Bye. Bye.